encourage you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. We've been moving through this book of Genesis. It is a, a joy to be able to do that. This is the one of the longest chapters. We will break it down into to sections, but uh, we'll take uh, we'll see how far we can get today. Genesis chapter 24, verse one. Now Abraham was old, advanced in years, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who ruled over all that he had, he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you should not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to the land and to my kin and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman who is not willing, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I indeed take your son back to the land where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware lest you take my son back there. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kin, and who spoke to me and has sworn to me, saying, To your seed I will give this land. He will send you an angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son, for my son from there. But for a woman, but if the woman is not willing to follow me, Follow you, then you will be free from the oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he went with all kinds of good things of his master in his hand. So he arose and went to Mesopotamia in the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water. At evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of my master, Abraham, please cause this to happen before me today. And show loving kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the women are of the men of the city are coming to coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and she say, Drink, and I will give water to your camels to drink also. May she be the one whom you have decided for your servant Isaac. And may it be that, may this be, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, and the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, was coming out with her jar on her shoulder. 
Now the young woman was very beautiful in appearance, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the spring and filled her water, filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camel until they have finished drinking. So she hurried and emptied her water into the emptied her jar into the water channel and ran again to the well to draw. And she drew for all the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether Yahweh had made his journey successful or not. Now it happened that when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two gold bracelets or two bracelets for her wrist weighing a half a shekel in gold and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there a place for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who she bore to Nahor. And she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and placed and a place to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped Yahweh. And he said, blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness And his truth toward my master. As for me, Yahweh has guided me in the way of the house of my master's brother. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful passage. We thank you for your word. The guidance that it gives to our life. The principles that it lays down. So that we can can know how to govern ourselves in this mixed up world, I pray that as we unpack this passage, that it would be beneficial to our spiritual growth today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage is obviously rich. This is just the the first 27 verses of 67 verses in this passage, telling the story of Isaac finding a wife or finding a wife for Isaac. And there's a there's a lot that we can glean from here. We can pick up on the theology as the, as the backdrop for this storyline here. And the theology is, is just right with the, the sovereignty of God. It's, his hand is just seen through all, all of this passage. Despite the, the haphazard nature of just showing up in a land unannounced and trying to find a wife for Isaac, God had already prepared this moment. And we see the, the mighty hand of God is sovereign control over every molecule, every, over every circumstances of life. And we can glean that from this passage. In fact, Abraham mentions that Yahweh will send an angel to go before you. Number two, another thing that we can pick up on and, and speak about is the, the character of God. That He is a promise-keeping God. And that He is... Uh, moving from one generation to the next generation. And he was going to keep his promise to bless Abraham, to bless him with the land, to bless him uh, uh, and his descendants 
And, and he looks at decades of time. He looks at the big picture. But he also notices every little detail. He's a promise-keeping God. Not only on the, the, the big picture, but in, on a daily basis in real time. We can glean from, from that and, and actually notice that throughout the whole passage. He looks at the, the long term and the every day. Um, but I think the emphasis of, the, of this passage is giving us the detail of finding a wife for Isaac. And that's important for Israel to know. Israel needed to know those, those details. Um, and this is a, this, the storyline. We can see all the theology behind the storyline, but we, we don't want to miss the storyline. And this is a, a love story. We all love love stories. It's a good thing. Hallmark is big business just because telling love story after love story after love story. But it all falls down to one person. This love story comes down to one little servant of Abraham. And to carry this promise from one generation to the next generation, all of the responsibility falls upon this this good, faithful servant. In fact, he's, a, he's one of those examples of the Old Testament that we would see compared to in the New Testament. Now, one of the labels that is given to the believer in the New Testament is that of servant. It's a title. It's a, a label that's given to us. And what tends to happen with labels is that they, they help to define us. They, they help us to understand uh, and envision ourselves in in this world kind of like self-identification and we can and it helps to to shape who we are and who we become and that's an important distinction that we are servants of god that's the way christians should see themselves we need to to see that now something else that we need to know is that when you look more closely in the new testament the word servant is really the word slave. And it should be translated most of the time as slave instead of servant. And slave would be even the kind, the lowest kind of, of slave that would be mentioned. And that needs to, to shape our understanding of ourselves, right? We need to have that kind of understanding of a servant. Now, there's some... There's some Bad influences, I think, that we need to be aware of and we have to be cautious of. Number one is that very thing. That the world shapes our understanding of servant. Even servant kind of softens it up a little bit. Because we don't like that word slave, so we use the the term servant. And so the world kind of changes or shifts uh, understanding of what it is to be a servant of God. It's a little skewed. The best we can come up with, especially in our day of, of freedom and valuing freedom, and that's a good thing, and uh, negative connotations on being a servant, that the best we could come up with would be an employee or employment or just a, a job. And that's, that's kind of what we would associate with it today. But we need to have a biblical understanding of what it is to be a servant of God. The term servant has to be informed, it has to inform our mind from Scripture. 
not from the world around us. There's another thing that we have to be careful with. And there's, there's some bad theology going around. Easy believism is prevalent. And they would, they would promote this idea that, that we're not really subject to Christ. They would emphasize that Christ taught in John chapter 15, verse 15, that He is our friend. And that, that we are, and He has disclosed to us secrets and we have His secrets and communicated to us what He's going to do. And, and it emphasizes the, the relationship that we have with God and, and with Christ. Uh, and that through that friendship with Christ, we have a friendship or a connection with God, that intimacy with God. And there's no doubt that slave is not the only term that is used for the believer in the New Testament. But it is a prominent one. Uh, we, we do have to re- keep in mind that we are uh, sons of God, that He has adopted us into His family as believers. He's adopted us into His family. And we are called friends, but we are still called slaves. And that phrase, that terminology is used even more so in the New Testament. In fact, we all look forward to hearing the the phrase, what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We are servants. We are servants of God. And Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You cannot divorce the two. And, and the principle being very, very clear that every Christian should be striving to be a good servant during our time here on this earth. We strive for that. That's what we want. That's the desire, the longing in our heart so that we can hear when we uh, stand before God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, defining what a servant is, is very important. What's a good servant? And what's going to shape our understanding of that? Well, obviously, it has to be Scripture. What's a good characteristic? What are good characteristics of, of a, a servant? I think when we look at Scripture, this is probably the best, most concise, the, 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 the most clear understanding of a good servant, really, of all of Scripture. And this would be the Mount Everest, if you will, of passages that we could look at about being a good servant. And it falls on this servant of Abraham, and he is elevated in this passage. Now, elevate, uh, now uh, Abraham is, is old and advanced in years, verse 1 said, the passage that we read. And he's ready to pass the baton to the next generation. And he sees the need to secure a wife for Isaac and doesn't want to take from the women from Canaan there where he was living. And he says, go back to the place where I, where I came from. And he sends this servant. Now, Abraham was a godly man. And, and I think that he had a, a godly influence on all of his household but particularly this servant. He was a faithful servant. And this servant knew that he was not just serving Abraham, but he was serving Abraham's God. And that's, that's even weightier, if you will. And as Christians, folks, we serve that same God. So I think there's a lot of comparisons here that we can look at and, and compare the Christian life to the life of this servant. This servant of Abraham, servant ultimately serving God. And we want to 
have a good understanding of what a good servant is. And this is a good example. Now, there's many principles, I think, that we can learn. So what we want to do is just move through this passage and we'll just make some observations as we go and we'll see how many we can get to. We'll only get to a couple today, but uh, this will obviously be a series. The first one, the first principle that we need to look at is is a, a good servant realizes that he is under obligation. A good servant realizes he's under obligation. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in years, and Abraham and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household. Now, let's just stop there. This servant had been serving for Abraham for, for a while. In fact, what we do, if you, if you compare, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, um, and Abraham was communicating to God. He was saying, O oh Lord Yahweh, what will you give me as I go on being childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And when Abraham was moving through Damascus in the northern part of what we would know as Israel today, he picked up this servant. That would have probably been about 60 or 62 years earlier. And this servant, Eleazar, is uh, probably about 85 years old at this time. Now, you have to keep in mind that Abraham was 30, 137 years old. Isaac would have been 37. So you have to keep in mind those dates. Sarah had passed away. Um, and this servant had been serving for, for a while. The word servant here is ebed. And it just means slave. It, it means that, that uh, Abraham could have gone to the marketplace, maybe, picked out a slave, a servant from among that marketplace. It could have been that because of debt, that this uh, some certain slaves, they would voluntarily become slaves because of debt. Some uh, are not even because of debt. They just uh, voluntarily submit themselves. And it was not a neg- negative thing necessarily. In fact, you could have been a, a doctor in the New Testament time. We know that of doctors or lawyers or even historians or ones who manage your, your whole household could have been a slave. Very educated, high, uh, uh, highly educated sometimes that you would have brought in to be a servant in your house. And that's the idea here. It's not necessarily a negative thing. But one thing that is for sure is that there is obligation. Obligation. There is no... These servants were not free to just do whatever they wanted to do. There was obligation. And he had served Abraham for a long time. He was the oldest of his household. And he was under obligation. And Eleazar, he knew that. So when Abraham calls and lays down this great responsibility, he knows, I've got to, I've got to fulfill this. I've got to do this. And, and he is a, a very wonderful picture. In fact, the epitome of servanthood. And a great example for us as Christians of what it is to be a servant. To be under obligation. Now, there's a few things that we need to keep in mind. Because 
we have a lot of people that think that we're not servants as Christians. And I, I want to go through this. There's a few things that we, we have to keep in mind. Because we, we need to see ourselves. We need to understand that we are servants of God. In fact, one of the, the phrases that I, I love in Acts chapter uh, 16 in verse 17 is when uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas were, were moving through city, this city. There's a servant girl that followed them around and would point to them and say in, in, in public, this is, these men are servants of the Most High God. And that's a wonderful phrase, servants of the Most High God. We need to see ourselves as that. Let me show you. Number one, we need to see ourselves as that because Jesus is king. Jesus is, is king. In First Corinth, in 1 Timothy, if you want to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. A verse probably that you would know well. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 15 says, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, sovereign is, is, is king, the king of kings and lord of lords. He's talking about Christ here. That, that Christ is king. He is lord of lords. And we see in Philippians chapter 2 that that. Christ humbled Himself, came to earth, and at the completion of His and the fulfillment of the redemption for men, He was highly exalted. He was put in this place. In fact, what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is everything is now put under His feet. He is King. He is Sovereign. We need to keep that in mind. The world doesn't know that. We need to communicate that to the world, that Jesus Christ is King. That's our message to the world. And we bow down to that. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, we know that every knee, eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is sovereign. In fact, we see that in the Old Testament as well. Daniel chapter 7, talking about Christ, that His dominion shall be an everlasting dominion. He is King. Number two, another thing that we need to keep in mind, that we are servants because we were created because of the, the fact that we were created for the purpose of ruling in God's place. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. That God created us and said, Let us make man in our image and let them rule. We are ruling on this earth in place of God. And we will give an account for that someday. Now, the problem is, is that we abdicated that rule. We handed that over. When we, when we sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, we relinquished that responsibility, gave that, gave that up, yielded that to Satan. Satan now has control. And so we are subject to two things. We're subject to our own sinfulness. We become enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. And we cannot not sin. We are enslaved to this flesh. Just like we're enslaved to gravity. I can't just go out and, and flap my arms and, and fly. Why? Because of gravity. 
I, I cannot not sin. I cannot just stop sinning all of a sudden because of I'm enslaved to sin. God has to do those things in our heart. On top of that, we're obedient, essentially obedient to, to Satan. He lies to us. He manipulates our sinful flesh. And we're just puppets in his hand. In Ephesians chapter 2, he just leads us along, just like the, the rest of the world many times. And we have to be aware of that and we have to stop that in our own life. And number three, another thing that we have to keep in mind is that we're servants by redemption. We're servants because Christ is king and everything's under his feet already anyway. We're servants because we were created to be servants. Number three, we're created or we're, uh, we're servants because of redemption. That he bought us. That He purchased us with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see this in the 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1. It's a wonderful passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says this. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Jesus Christ, called as saints, okay? Understand that? With all who in every place, this is all of the saints, not just at Corinth, who have called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. What it is to be a Christian is to call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ, he says, their Lord and ours. That's what we have in common. Is that Jesus Christ is, is our Lord. He's our Master. That's what the word Lord means. Master. And we've submitted ourselves to Him. That's what it is to be a Christian. In fact, if you look over to um, the passage that was read for us earlier. Wonderful passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The end of that chapter, it says, For you were bought with a price. Bought with a price. Therefore... And in, your, in fact, the verse before it says, you are not your own. <laughs> you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body does not belong to you. That's an amazing thought. That's a slave. That's slaves of Christ. It's slaves of God. We are not our own. We cannot just pleasure ourselves. In any way we want to. We can't just dress the way we want to. We cannot just feed and gorge ourselves as much as we want to. We cannot just say whatever we want to. We cannot just do whatever we want to. Our body belongs to God. We are slaves to God. That's an amazing, amazing thought. In fact, if you want to have confirmation of that, chapter 7, just the very next chapter in verse 23... He's uh, talking about being a slave and being a free man, kind of comparing those two. He says, where were you brought? Uh, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one has become, uh, is to remain with God in, the, in that condition in which he was called. In the, uh, uh, in the verse before that, verse 22, it says, for... He, he who has called you, called in Christ, while he is a slave, in the Lord Jesus' free man, likewise he who, has, who was called 
as free is Christ's slave. We are Christ's slave. If we're free, we're not really free. We're Christ's slave. It's the same kind of concept that we see in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We call upon the Lord. He is our Master. Now, I hope you get the, the pattern here that we are slaves of Jesus Christ because He purchased us with His blood. We belong to Him. Now, that needs to shape what we think of being a Christian. That, in fact, that's what it is to be a Christian. That, that shapes our identity. That shapes who we are, is that we're servants of the Most High God. Acts chapter 16, verse 17. Servants of the Most High God. Now let's just think about this for a minute. We are then under obligation. That's primarily what it is to be a servant. Is to be under obligation to to God. And there's no place for passivity here. When our kids were young, they would join the baseball team. And we would put them out there on the field. And you know, these little kids, they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what was going on most of the time. And somebody would hit the ball, and it would go to, to second base, and you look out at second base, and the little kids there is making a little sandcastle. He has no idea what to do. He's just oblivious. He's doing, doing his own thing. Even though he's part of a team, he's just doing his own thing. There's no place for that kind of thing in the Christian life. We're part of a, a team. We have obligations to that team. Sometimes at work you may be putting may be put on a project, and you have to to be part of that team. You don't uh, you don't join the Marines and say, okay, I'll get around to those training classes whenever I whenever I can. No, there's no passivity. There's obligation to a team. There's obligation to work. There's obligation to the Marines. There's obligation to living the Christian life. In fact, that's the very core of what it is. You're not your own. You cannot just do whatever you want to do. In fact, just the opposite. We drop everything and we go go running. Is there is there something that you want me to do? That's the attitude of a servant. Or that's our salvation. That's just the basic. That's just the first step. Uh, there's a, that philosophy of easy believism that kind of tells us that, that we're really not under any kind of obligation. And their line of thinking is this, that if God puts obligations upon us, then essentially we would be working for our salvation. There's a, there's a term for that. It's just a false doctrine. <laughs> There's a the term though. This isn't a new thing. This goes back centuries, and it's just antinomianism. Uh, Nome is just law, and anti would be uh, no law. And so they would say there's no laws under the Christian life. We're, we're free. Now there's a there's elements of those things. There's nuggets of truth there, but folks, we are servants of the Most High God. 
We have obligations to God. We cannot just say we have no obligation. We cannot be passive in the Christian life. There's just no place for it. That, that, to buy into that is a false doctrine. It is not biblical. So a servant, number one, is under obligation. Number two, number two, principle number two, is a good servant is one that the master can trust with great responsibility. Think about that. A good servant is one that the master can trust with great responsibility. Let's go back to our passage in Genesis chapter 24 and go to, uh, I think it's just verse 2. He was the oldest of his household, uh, Abraham's household. Now that tells us something that, that he, and he had spent about 60, 62 years as a servant there and he had learned some things over the years. That's the idea. To the point... It says, who rules over all that he owned. That's all that Abraham owned. This servant ruled over it. He was in charge. He was in charge of all of it. And that's a, a pretty big haul. When you look over at verse 35, it says, And Yahweh was, has greatly blessed my master, so that he has become great, and he has, become, he has, been, has given him flocks and herds, and silver and gold and male servants and female servants and camels and donkeys. That's a whole lot. That's a whole village. That's a whole town. And this guy was, was over all of that. Now, we want to keep in mind, too, that if there wasn't an heir, if Isaac wasn't in the picture, then Eleazar would have been the heir. That's, that was the custom of, of that time. Eleazar would have taken all of this. But Isaac came along. And Eleazar now is his, his servant. But he is, has great responsibility. And why? Because he was faithful in the little things. He was faithful as a, a, a small servant of just giving little responsibility here, little responsibility there. And he just continued to grow, continued to become strong, with his capabilities, his, his uh, talents that the Lord had given him, and, and he was able to, to manage all that Abraham had. And that's the way it works, isn't it? Just, just like that, just in the Christian life. That's what God has entrusted you. God has entrusted us as believers, given every one of us, each one individually, talents and abilities, gifts, giftedness, not to be squandered on ourselves, not to be used for just our own pleasure, but to, but to grow. And it's step by step growth. It's a little growth here, little growth there. That master sees, hey, I can give him more responsibility. And that's exactly what we see. Let me remind you. Christ's parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Let me read that to you in verse 21. The master had given three of his servants one ten talents, one five talents, one one talent. Let me, uh, and, and I'm sorry, two talents. Verse 21 it says, His master said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant or slave. You have, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you in charge of many things. Enter the, into the joy of your master. That's what we want to hear. 
You were, you were responsible. This is the, the servant with ten talents. You were responsible with these talents. You produced with these talents. You give them back to me with interest. Enter into the joy of your master. What a wonderful thing. Verse 22, also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me. You entrusted two talents to me. See, I have granted have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. And he, and the one also who had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter, no, where you scattered no seed. And I, will, I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See what, I, uh, see what is yours? He hands them this one talent. And here's what the response of the master, and this is so important that we understand this, verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gathered where I did not uh, scatter any seed. He calls him a wicked servant and casts him out. Now, which servant do you want to be? We, we see in Acts chapter 1, Christ had prepared the disciples for three and a half years. And he says... I'm going to go up to heaven and when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come down and you're going, to, you're going to be my servants. You're going to be my witnesses. And that's an official term. You're going to be my witnesses and go out and witness. They, they had spent three and a half years with Christ. They were prepared well. He had prepared them well. And then they, he sends them out. The same with Paul, the apostle. Three and a half years in Arabia, in the Arabian desert. And I like what it says in the book of Acts. He became strong in the Word. Now, let me ask you, where, in what area of your life is the Lord strengthening you to give you more responsibility? In what area of your life is is growing and becoming more robust and and you're able to to take on more and more responsibilities? Can you imagine being a member of the household and having no contribution? Just sitting around watching TV all day, not contributing anything, no real growth in your life, no real skills to develop that you've developed, nothing that, that you really can contribute. You can't blame that on your parents, this stunted growth, just because you did not step out there and, and do something for the Lord. That's the idea. The Lord has blessed us. We're to, to use our talents. We're to, to build and to endure, uh, build up our endurance. We're to, to strengthen our faith and, and step out and, and do things for the Lord. So then that faith continues to grow. Those talents beginning be, uh, continue to, to uh, become stronger and more and more useful. Now, I want you to notice this, that the attitude of a good servant is one to, to please his master, is to become greater and greater uh, in, in being able to handle more and more responsibility. You say, oh, you hear 
all the time. Well, the, the thief on the cross, well, he didn't do anything. Well, he didn't have an opportunity, I think, that he may have done that. But the attitude is there. The attitude that, that we want to do great things for our master. And that comes from a, a frame of mind. From seeing ourselves as servant. And that Abraham could entrust Eleazar with great things. This great, heavy, weighty responsibility because he was faithful over many, many things. And he had stepped out. And he had grown. And he had become responsible. And now he's to the place that he trusted Abraham. And trusted Abraham's God. So a good servant is one whose master can trust him with great responsibilities. Every Christian, folks, every Christian should be striving to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. You are a servant of the Most High God. How is God using you? How are you growing your gifts and your abilities and your talents? Well, let me ask another question. We live in a day that we don't like anybody else imposing identity on us. We like to self-identify. And and who's going to self-identify as a servant? (laughs) No one. That that concept is foreign to Scripture. God identifies us. He has placed that term servant on us, slave on us. He's the one that has the right over us. And He says, I will identify you. You are my servant. Now, are you willing to take on that, that label? You willing to take on that title? Are you willing for that title to shape who you are and your your self awareness, your self identity, your servant of the Most High God? Now, folks, there's no greater label that can be given. The world's not going to tell you that. No, you have to go out and get it. And God says, "No, you are my servant. I will give you a great name. I will give you great responsibilities." God identifies us as believers. Let me close with this one little quote. Just a quote from uh, John MacArthur's passage, uh, or his book on servanthood. Um, he says this, A true Christian is not about adding Jesus to your life. Instead, it is about devoting oneself completely to Him submitting wholly to His will and seeking to please Him above all else. It demands denying to self and following the Master. And no matter the cost, in other words, to be a Christian is to be Christ's slave. That's just what it is. That's what it is to be a Christian. Sometimes, folks, I'm afraid that we think, oh, the real Christians, well, they're, they're good servants up here. And the rest of us are just lowly servants. No, no. Or, or the idea that we, we don't enter into servanthood until we become true disciples or something like that. No, we are Christians. If you are a Christian, you are a servant of the Most High God. And that's a weighty, heavy, lofty responsibility. And we need to own that. That's our title. That's the label that God puts on us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this example of Eleazar, of just being a a godly servant. And as we go through this passage, I pray that you would allow us to glean the, the, the right 
principles and, the, and have the right understanding of what it is to be a servant of God. Oh, Lord, what an honor. What an honor it is to serve the King of the universe. Lord, may you use us greatly. May we be those servants who you can trust and trust with great responsibilities. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.